Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we're talking about Dr. Sleep from 2019, directed by Mike Flanagan, with a screenplay by Mike Flanagan based on the 2013 novel of the same name by Stephen King, starring Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, and Kylie Curran. And in this sequel to The Shining, a grown-up Danny Torrance fights to save a little girl who shares his power to shine from a cult who feeds on the souls of those who have the power to shine. Uh, of course, this is the sequel to The Shining, and Ashwin, I love The Shining, and I know you rated it highly on our episode, so I was very much anticipating this movie, and I can't remember if you were or not. Uh, no, I think uh, you've always been like the bigger fan of The Shining. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, the previews on this one didn't get me too excited, but I was excited uh, just because I, yeah, I knew how much you loved The Shining. So were you really excited for this one? I was. And are you a, you're a Mike Flanagan fan, right? Uh, I used to be until <laughs> until uh, recently. I, I didn't even know he directed this. And, and as soon as I saw that on the screen, I, my heart just went out to you. I'm like, ah, uh, Brian, <laughs> it's like your favorite thing with like your least favorite director, maybe. You, you don't like him, do you? You know, I, I used to, like, rag on him. So, some history for the listeners. If you, We've mentioned it before, but Ashwin and I did the same thing. Called each other up and talked about a horror movie we had just watched for probably, like, three years, Ashwin, before we started this podcast. Yeah. And we ended up seeing more Mike Flanagan movies than any other director for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about Oculus, Hush, Before I Wake, and Gerald's Game. And I actually really liked Hush. Mm-hmm. I thought Oculus was genuinely scary. Yeah, I like that Bef- one. Before I Wake was one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And Gerald's Game, I thought, shared some of the melodrama that bef- that made Before I Wake kind of lame to me. Yeah. So I that's like uh, it's like it, it's out 50/50. of four, like you, like, yeah, fifty fifty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Too. So I I wasn't uh. I don't dislike him, but I feel like the last two we saw were before I wake in Gerald's game, so I was on a streak of being like, I don't know about this dude. Although yeah. a lot of people loved loved Gerald's game. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that, like the order of those films, uh, I think Oculus and Hush came before those other two, right? Like in terms of releases? Is yeah, right? before I wake, if I remember correctly, it was released after those two, but it was filmed like three or four years before its release. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the one that was delayed a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like with those last two, and then, uh, did you watch the show that he did on Netflix, uh, House on Haunted, or The Haunting of Hill House? I still have not seen that. I know it's supposed to be incredible, but I just have a hard time starting horror shows. Yeah. I, I just feel like, yeah, that show combined with those two films that you didn't like, uh, he definitely started, like, leaning more into, like, family drama and, uh, more, like, emotional stuff, whereas, like, I feel like Oculus and Hush, that, that, all that was, like, kind of minimal, it was more like scare heavy. Um, yeah, agreed. Especially yeah. Hush. Hush was Hush was just very much a kind of a home invasion slasher type vibe. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. O- Oculus had a little bit of melodrama between the brother and sister, but mostly mm-hmm. it was just scary. Yeah, and I feel like uh, I know we'll talk about our review later, but Doctor Sleep kind of extends like his later trend towards a more melodrama. You know, I think so. I think so, and it'll be interesting to see where we both land on this. But it, Doctor Sleep is not really that scary. Yeah, right, exactly. It's yeah. kind of like a fantasy horror almost. Yeah, yeah, I, I got some thoughts on that for sure. <laughs> there's I, a uh, 
I'm I'm just uh, trying to remember her tweet, but uh, the website Nightmare on Film Street is, I think, owned and run by this couple. And the woman, Kim, I couldn't help but, like, I was trying to avoid tweets about Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. But I think she loves The Shining, and she tweeted that, like, I feel like I just got out of two and a half hours of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, no. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I felt like this was like an X-Men franchise movie or something, something from that side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it very much was kind of like about superpowers, which Stephen yeah. King's stuff kind of gets into that realm sometimes. It's- I guess. Um, you've read The Shining. I'm, I, I'm guessing you haven't read uh, Dr. Sleep, or have you? I have not read Dr. Sleep, no, okay. but I have read The Shining. What, why do you think uh, he would do a sequel so many years later? Like from 77, he wrote The Shining, and then 2013, he's writing Dr. Sleep? Yeah, I mean, it's quite a bit. It's almost like 40 years later. But he said people would like come up to him and ask, like, whatever happens to Danny? Like, what's Danny's future? Yeah. And I think maybe he just got to thinking about it and thought there was a story there. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems random. But yeah, I guess if, he's, if people are asking about it, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm excited to see where we where we land on this. I yeah. think it might be interesting. Um, <laughs> so, did you notice some Flanagan regulars popping up in this? Yeah, the in kid from... The actors? Yeah, kid from Before I uh, Wake was in yeah, there. Yeah, Jacob Tremblay. Um, who else? Um, the Moonlight Man, I think he was called, from Gerald's Game. Oh. Mm-hmm. Was like Grandpa Flick or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did look very familiar. And then Gerald of Gerald's Game was... Um, Oh shoot! Which role did he play? Gerald. Uh, was he, was he the? It was he the 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 guy who was running the Alcohol Anonymous meetings. There you go. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then I read somewhere. I know all of his films have had his wife in them. Uh, but where was she in this one? I don't know that answer actually. Kate, okay. Was her name Kate Siegel? Siegel yeah, or something Kate like Siegel, that? Yeah. Yeah. She was the star of Hush. Right. Yep. Yeah, I didn't see her in this one. Apparently, the dude who played Danny Torrance as a kid in The Shining had a like quick cameo in this one. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, and I think some people from Haunting of Hill House were in this too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's got like a very familiar cast, I guess. He works with. Yeah, which totally um, makes sense, man. If you were a director, just be like, "Hey, I know I've worked with this person, and they're good." So. Yeah. Yeah. Why? 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 Like reinvent the wheel if you got a good cast around you. Right. Um. Uh, do you feel like, uh, like by now, given the amount, amount of movies of his we've seen, like in addition to the cast, do you feel like there is um, a certain vibe that all his films kind of portray or give off that you can say, yeah, this is a Flanagan film? I want to say yes, but I don't know. Like Before I Wake and Gerald's Game had some commonalities mm-hmm. with the melodrama right. and, and Dr. Sleep, I suppose. But then Oculus and Hush felt like something different. Yeah, I yeah. I haven't this... seen uh, what he did, Ouija. Mm. Uh, one of the Ouija, Origins of Evil, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's some, I think the characters and the relationships and the drama there is a little bit of a trademark, for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's got a, a certain style. It's just interesting, uh, you know, like last week we, we talked about The Lighthouse and these new masters of horror and focus on like a lot of these young and upcoming directors who only have like a film or two under them. This guy, I mean, he's, he hasn't been around that long and he's done like so many films in such a short period of time. Um, but I, I don't know. He's, I don't think he's as like artsy as like an Ari Aster or the guy who did the witch, uh, et cetera. Right. Robert Eggers. No, yeah. I don't think so. But I do think he might be in that discussion. Just 
And for the, and I know in that episode we talked about like, what does it take? Like volume or a couple mm-hmm. of great movies? I feel like he might be in the discussion just for volume. Like yeah. all his movies have some big fans and some people who are like, eh, none of them were like box office matches or critical darlings or anything. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, they all have, they all bring something to the table. That's for sure. The Haunting of Hill House was a critical darling and like everybody loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that people got on board with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people, like before I wake, kind of flew under the radar. Even Gerald's Game kind of did a little bit. Gerald's Game, another Stephen King Flanagan team up, if we haven't mentioned that already. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's also done a movie called Absentia, which I haven't seen, but I'm kind of interested. I think that's gotten pretty decent reviews. Yeah, I feel like I've seen so many of his movies now. I just need to check all his box, all, all his boxes. Yeah, might as well. All the boxes, Absentia and the Ouija movie. Yeah. Get it over with. House. Yeah, exactly. But as I was saying, he doesn't have any box office smashes. This movie is underperformed. Yeah, I think there's been a little bit of like bemoaning that in the horror community. I mean, it's it's got forty point two million as of today, November fourteenth. But the budget was forty five to fifty five million, and it just wasn't quite what they were expecting. Yeah, I, I think they were also trying to like. I, I think people saw how well it was doing, and like they've thrown a bunch of. Investments into other franchises or other uh, Stephen King ones, but yeah, this one seems to be lagging. Though it's only been a week, right, of like the full release in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, maybe a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Shoot. Oh yeah, maybe it has only been a week. That's true. Yeah, but I mean, you know, usually your first weekend is supposed to be your big one and trails off. Right. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. It's not going to be a huge money maker. Yeah, I think that this script actually existed for a while but it wasn't until the success of it that it got the movie got funded found mm-hmm. a budget yeah yeah it's crazy and so oh go ahead warner brothers has actually already hired flanagan to write a sequel called hollering about dick hollering but yeah i don't know if that's gonna happen now that the movie isn't making a ton of money yeah i know i'm interested to see what the, which way they go um, it's been a yeah. I mean, the just the last two or three years for Stephen King have, have been huge. Uh, this year we had Pet Cemetery, It Chapter Two, and and this one. So three Stephen King movies in one year. That's, yeah, and I think some shows too. And oh yeah, right. Um, Creep Show is kind of a show based on an original Stephen King property. Okay, and Castle Rock uh, as well, right? I mean, the stories aren't yeah. Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. There's, there's got to be one or two other ones that we're forgetting. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of Stephen King going on these days. Yeah. Which, I don't know, the more and more I see of his work, the less and less uh, I think, like, yeah, maybe he had, like, a few good hits and he, like, crafted a, a narrative in this, score, in this uh, scary fiction writing. Uh, but does all his work translate well into film? It just kind of puts some questions in my mind about it. Yeah. I think one thing to bookmark, too, is um, remember in the Shining episode... King wasn't crazy about Kubrick's interpretation, and they kind of both had an insult back and forth to each other. Like <laughs> King yeah. was like, "It's all mind and no heart," or something, or all style and no heart. And yeah. Kubrick was like, "I could say the opposite about your <laughs> your stuff. Like you're all yeah. heart, and no style." Yeah, and having um, read the book, would you say that's fair? I don't think it's fair, but I can see how each of them. I can see the truth to each of their criticisms mm-hmm. of each other, but I don't dis- I don't agree with either of them. Like, <laughs> you can I loved s- The Shining and thought it, the movie had heart, and I loved the book and didn't think it was like overly sentimental. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you can see like where they're coming from. I can see where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Which Flanagan and Flanagan's tendency for melodrama and King could be a dangerous combo. So I know. Have you, I didn't see any uh, response from Stephen King on this one yet. Have, have you like, what is his take on it? I imagine he's probably okay with it, but I think he's, I think he's a fan of it. Yeah. And he okay. had, um, I don't know what his power is to green light anything or of who does what, but, mm-hmm. um, I think he was pleased with Gerald's game too. So he already knew Flanagan could, could translate his material well to the screen. Yeah. Yep. Anything else to talk about with this movie before we move on to the plot and spoil it for everybody? Um, no. Uh, only thing left would be an Ohio connection, which Jacob Tremblay has a small role in this movie, and he rose to prominence for his performance in Room alongside Brie Larson, and that movie takes place in Akron, Ohio. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I saw part of that movie on a bus, and it was it looks pretty good. Have you seen that? <laughs> As long as you are in a moving vehicle, you you like anything you see. <laughs> no, that's the secret, man. <laughs> Task on a plane, room in a bus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm all set. Okay, man. Well, uh, let's get into the plot. But before we do, I'm gonna take a quick break. I think I hear my toddler crying upstairs, so I'd better go check on him. All right, cool. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? Yeah, I don't really know what was wrong, but uh, I handed him a bag of Cheez-Its, and he should be okay up there for a few days. <laughs> Wait, uh, when when did this happen? Okay, so I need to ask you this, because I'm so confused. There's a scene at the beginning where Danny's like, they're establishing the fact that Jan- Danny's an alcoholic and doesn't have his life together. Yeah, oh, He gets yeah. in this, like, bar brawl, and then, like, goes home with this woman they're doing <laughs> drugs and having sex and he wakes up and she's like passed out next to him yeah yeah right. is it implied that he she's dead next to him i don't think so i think she's still alive because uh, like there's like some vomit on the pillow or something right is that what okay there's vomit gotcha yeah and then I don't the toddler her yeah. like kid comes out and it's like mommy and he like picks the kid up puts it on the bed with a bag of chips and, <laughs> or whatever and yeah i forgot about <laughs> yeah but he, then he, later he sees their ghosts Oh, that was their ghost? Yeah, and don't they say, like, no one's found us yet. Like, oh. we're rotting. Shit, I didn't, I didn't connect that later on that that was them. Um, there were two parts. That was two parts of the movie where I was like, it happened so fast, I just couldn't quite catch it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, a listener can, can tell us what the hell went on there. Sure, yeah. And, part and of me was sure. like, did he just, like, kill a woman and a kid? And right. And then we moved on quick? Yeah, that'd be so weird, and then like to bring her back in that way, random. Yeah, I was very confused about that part. It, it, maybe it's very obvious. I just I did not catch it. It was a late night viewing for me. Yeah, you'll have to read the book or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to what I do know about the plot, uh, <laughs> we open with Danny Torrance still as a kid, and him and his mom are living in Florida, and he's still haunted by some of the ghosts of the Overlook. Uh, Dick Holleran visits him uh, via his ability to shine, even though Dick's dead. And he teaches him to lock the ghosts in this 
in mental boxes in his mind. And periodically in the movie, we cut to an image of the hedge maze from the original film with all these boxes like that look like caskets lined up where he keeps any of these ghosts. Uh, so after Dick tells him that, we get kind of a cool scene where it seems like Danny's being troubled by something and his mom's like, are you okay? And he's he just goes, I'll be right back. And he walks into the bathroom where the creepy woman from room 237 is lurking in the bathtub and he just looks cool as a cucumber and like walks in and closes the door like yeah i'm gonna take care of this that was really cool i, I liked some of these early scares that they had uh, i'm glad that the woman from room 237 appeared so frequently in this movie yeah i know they, they did a good job of like referencing a lot from the shining or bringing yeah, in like th- some of the ghosts from there i thought so too i thought they really incorporated the original movie well while still making this completely its own thing because it yeah. really is completely its own thing yeah i think so i mean it's not i mean it's based on the, the characters and everything but it's a totally different type of movie sure yeah that's fair um so then okay we've established that danny now has this mechanism this tool to take care of these ghosts from the overlook that have kind of followed him uh, we fast forward a bit, and we learn that there's this cult that hunts people with the ability to shine and either converts them to their crew or kills them and eats their souls or their ability to shine or whatever. It's like they die and this steam comes out of them and they all breathe it in. And they all wear um, hats. They all wear hats. What the hell was that, man? <laughs> they had a certain style to them. Yeah. It was like Sheryl Crow. They're all like a bunch of country music stars or something. What was what was what was what was the deal with that? That was yeah. Sheryl Crow is probably the right vibe there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like they never explained like why they're all wearing hats or like why they need to. But it must be something from the book, right? Like I, I doubt like Flanagan would have come up with that idea. They almost reminded me of like a traveling circus or something like that. Yeah. Like, yep. It was it was weird. Yeah, that's pretty um, strange. But as a kid, I thought Sheryl Crow was super hot, so that might explain my attraction to uh, Rebecca Ferguson starring as Rose the Hat. Oh, yeah. No, she was, she was great. She was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, so they're, they're out there. They're kidnapping these people who can shine and either converting them or killing them. And it basically, it's also that they can take that shining ability and turn it into immortality for themselves or at least extend their lives. So they've been doing this for centuries, presumably. And then we cut again to Dan. He's now a grown man and he's an alcoholic who gets into these drunken balls, drunken balls, (laughs) drunken brawls with Mm -hmm. his drunken balls. Yeah. Um, Maybe he leaves a woman and a kid to die. I don't know. Somebody (laughs) will hopefully clarify this for us. Yeah. And he moves to a new town where he's kind of taken under the wing of this dude named Billy who gets him a job and a place to live and tar- starts taking him to AA meetings. Do you feel like this uh, transition like made a lot of sense or was it kind of like, uh, hey, here's a character. He's There's like quick glimpses of like the night he had before where he got drunk and got in a fight and then wakes up next to this girl who's thrown up and suddenly like leaves town to start a fresh life. Like it's kind of all kind of shoved down your throat right away like this is this dude who's like on recovery i guess like yeah maybe it did maybe it did happen kind of fast like what what, why did he leave town just because of one bad night i think it was just like it all added up and he was just trying to escape him himself and his life yeah so sometimes i feel like flanagan because you know there's a very similar character i think in um 
that that TV show, The Haunting of Hill House. And oh, okay. I, I feel like he does like these characters who like are trying to go through rehab or like addicts. And I almost feel like it's like the storybook version of someone like, oh man, I'm, I'm drawing a line here and I'm just going to head out to New Hampshire and uh, take a fresh start. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it seems like a fairy tale, like stereotype of someone like that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he did. I did read that he said like he's really intrigued by these stories of somebody with childhood trauma turning into an adult addiction or yeah. some sort of uh, fault or, or uh, character flaw for an adult. Yeah, it's, it's a very common trope, I think, for him that he likes to play on, which I just kind of wonder like how much uh, real life experience he has. And when you see these characters and how slim they are across movies, you kind of wonder if he's just like taking it out of like a five-page book he read or something. Right. And I mean, Oculus and Gerald's Game both involve characters who have are haunted by childhood trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. That frames where they where they are in, in their adult lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. I guess he does play to that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so his new job is working at a hospice as an orderly. And at the hospice, he ends up sitting next to each patient as they die and, like, talks them through it. And all the patients kind of know that this happens, and it earns him the nickname of Dr. Sleep. Which does, part of that, I think, is just included in the movie, so we know why the movie's called Dr. Sleep. Yeah, I know. It's like, they got to the end of the movie, and they're like, ah, oh, shit, we forgot to figure out why this is called Dr. Sleep. Let's throw in the superpower he has. They're like, how does he know when people are going to die? So he doesn't know, but there's this cat that works that works. <laughs> oh God, I'm getting loopy. There's yeah. this cat at the hospice that like seems to sense when someone's gonna die and it will always go lay on their bed. Yeah. So when he sees the cat go into a room, he goes in and just starts talking to the person as they he like talks them through it. Oh, okay. So he's not actually able to tell it's the cat that has that power. I don't think he can tell. Maybe. I mean okay. the shining the shining ability isn't like kind of it's never put into a box of like here are its limits and here are the things it can do. It's just kind of Yeah. Some some weird things can happen, some abilities exist because of it. Yeah, that's one thing throughout the movie and uh, as we meet other people who have the shining power, like uh I think that's one thing that kind of confused me is like, yeah, what is the shining really? Or how does it actually work? Right. Yeah. It seems a little bit amorphous. Yep. Um but as all this is happening, it's been established that Dan's also periodically getting these telepathic communications from a young girl named Abra, who's probably like a preteen or early teens. Uh, she can also shine, and it's implied that she's even stronger than he is. Uh, one night, Abra senses that this cult has kidnapped a young boy and is torturing to him to death to extract his steam or solar shining ability. They call it steam in the movie. And essentially her anguish from this event is sensed by both Dan and Rose, who's the leader of the cult. So Rose is now on the hunt for Abra um, because it's implied that the cult hasn't been able to find as many people with the shining as they used to. And they're kind of fading and losing energy and uh, just aren't as strong as they used to be, and Abra could be essentially like a big bump for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Abra somehow realizes this, that they're on the hunt for her, and she finds Dan and lets him know. His advice at first is just like, okay, keep your head down, try not to do anything to draw attention, like, I can't help you. Yep. And then Hollerin visits Danny 
through The Shining and as a ghost or whatever and tells him, like, he has to protect Abra. So together they essentially hunt down the cult using their Shining abilities and they set a trap for them. And they shoot most of them dead in the woods and during the fight one of them, there's this one woman that they adopt at the beginning of the movie who can essentially just give someone instructions and they do it. That was a cool part. Yeah, this yeah. was kind of a haunting scene. She tells Dan's like best friend who like got him this job and everything. She tells him to kill himself. Like as she's dying, her last words are just kill yourself. And he turns the gun on himself and shoots himself in the head. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um and then we kind of move on from that without any mourning from for that character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that character is like kind of just thrown in uh, as like a, someone for like Dan to confide to, I guess when he moves and like it's kind of crazy how quickly he takes him in, and and just like as a like sidekick for a little bit before just getting written off in that death. Yeah, he goes. One of the things that Billy says is like, yeah, sometimes I just like have a feeling about people. Mm-hmm. And Billy's an alcoholic too, so he's like, I know that look of like someone who's down on their luck and needs help. But I would think maybe the book goes more into detail of like, and it's implied in the movie that some people have a little bit of shining and they don't even know it. They just think of it as these gut feelings that they have. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if in the book, Billy has like very minor ability and doesn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so yeah, with the whole cult dead essentially now, except for Rose, uh, she consumes their remaining pile, stockpile of steam to make herself essentially like the super shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> it is like kind of those like canisters too that she's drinking. Out. Yeah, right? It seems yeah. it looks like the ooze. Yeah. Uh, and she comes after Danny and Abra. And Danny decides that the Overlook might be the most dangerous place for someone like Rose who can shine. Did you understand? Uh, or for any of them. Yeah. Did you understand the rationale behind this? That was, there's been some discussion on our Discord server about that too. And that was, I can't remember if it was uh, Kyle or Mondo who said like the rationale seemed a little thin for going there. Yeah. Uh, which I could understand, but I, th- I I bought it. Just like, it's like, hey, this is dangerous for anybody who can shine, but I know it better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's it's really interesting that that he went back there, and I kind of felt like the movie was really building up to this big, like, ah, oh, there's the house or the the hotel from The Shining, and right. uh, it, was, it was like this big epic, like, kind of reveal, like when they show the hotel finally. So it, was, it kind of felt like everything was building up to that moment. Yeah, yeah, and it, I thought it was actually pretty cool when they got back there. Like, mm-hmm. they reconstructed the sets and everything. And the movie, which really wasn't scary up until this point, got scary to me because just I love The Shining so much that just like being in those hallways again and having them walk and turn corners, I was like, oh, something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Good way to pay uh, tribute to the original Shining. Yeah. I thought it did the original justice in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't even talked about this, but like the they made a choice to just cast new people as like Wendy Torrance and Jack Torrance and Dick yeah. Holleran. And the people that cast I thought were all really good, especially Wendy, Dan's mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, you're right. So, and then like uh, when he's at the hotel, he sees like a version of his dad, I guess. Yeah. Um, the bartender, it, Lloyd the bartender is now his dad. Right, yeah, and, and Holleran too. Yeah, you're right. They were like uh, slightly different, but I feel like 
um, they weren't trying to be like 100% the people from the last film. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it was tastefully done in terms of mimicking those characters. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so they're back at the Overlook. She comes there too, and they try to essentially, they can kind of like astral, do astral projection, like make a person think they're in a different place, or maybe they're actually in some way sending them to a different place. So they kind of project her into the hedge maze and try to trap her into one of these boxes, these mental boxes that Danny has. But that doesn't work. And she is essentially like, yeah, here I am. That didn't work. And Dan's just tells Abra to go run. And she's coming up the steps at him, just like the same setting where Jack was walking up the steps towards Wendy and she's swinging the bat, like the, the give me the bat scene. But Danny has an axe and Rose is like slowly approaching him. She ends up overtaking him. But just before she does, Danny lets free all the ghosts from his boxes that he has in his mind. Does he, oh yeah, he lets it free or does she go into his mind and like open them up? I think she like, I don't know. It, it definitely seemed like it was his backup plan all along. Yeah. Um, so she might go into his mind and he's like, hey, here's this. Yep. Try this on for size. <laughs> Take this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then she, like, screams, and then behind her you see all of the ghosts from the original The Shining. Like, mm-hmm. lady from room 237, the guy with the stitches down the middle of his face. The, the twins. twins are there. Yeah. Uh, and they essentially just pile on her and kind of, like, rip her apart or kill her. I don't know exactly what went on there. Yeah. And they end up doing a similar thing to him, but he then starts to merge with the hotel, and he's chasing Abra, kind of like his dad did in the original, with an axe. Right. And it's clear that it's kind of the hotel, and it's no longer him, but she's able to talk to him and, like, reach the part of him that still remains, like his soul that's still in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he, like, gains control of himself, tells her to run out of there, and goes down to the boiler room and cranks up the boiler so high that it blows up the hotel. Right. Yeah. And in the last moments as the hotel's blowing up, you see him standing in front of his mother and she reaches out and touches his face and he's now himself as a child and the two of them are reunited. That's kind of a sentimental scene. I thought that was kind of touching, yeah. Yeah. And it ends with Abra at home having a heart-to-heart with Dan's ghost and then she does kind of the same thing that he did at the beginning. The woman from the bathtub is in her bathtub and she just casually walks into the bathroom and shuts the door. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to take care of this. Right. Which I thought was a cool way to end it. Yeah. Kind of showing, uh, the, the, how things come full circle, I guess, or like, yeah, from Halloran to Dan to now Abra. Yeah. And that was a bit of a theme too. I think Halloran at one point tells Dan, like, you've got a debt to pay. Like, yeah. Halloran was just do with the shining. Danny walked into his life and he ended up, essentially laying his life on the line to save Danny. Yeah. And now Dan's got to do the same. Sure, sure. Uh, what do you think, man? It sounds like you, you're not wild about this. Uh, I'm not, but first, before uh, we dive into that, I had a quick question about the earlier Shining movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, when this movie started, so I thought the movie The Shining was about a haunted hotel 
And then this movie kind of takes that in a different direction where The Shining is more about the power that uh, Danny has. Uh, was that, like, a, that part was a very small part of The Shining movie, though, right? Yeah, I think Danny's power was, yeah, maybe a bit understated in the movie, but it is a big part of the book, Danny's ability. It is, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I feel like in the movie that part wasn't really um, called out, and I thought The Shining was more in reference to, like, this spirit that's, like, haunting or, like, living in that in that uh, that hotel that was making yeah. it evil. But is, was that also The Shining? But, you know, going back in my mind, there's the whole sit-down in the original movie between Dick and Danny in the kitchen. yeah. And he's like, some people have this ability, The Shining. Yeah. Um, and you got it. So I think once the movie started going and the scare started happening, that wasn't as big of a focus. Sure. And in the book, I feel like it was a slightly bigger focus, like that this was his ability. Okay. But I don't think the... I think the movie was pretty clear about that, like that Danny could shine and that the hotel could shine. Oh, okay. So what the hotel was doing was also considered shining. Yeah, that's how Dick Halloran described it. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I overall like I you know I felt like it was a pretty slow movie. Uh, and to your po- earlier point, like it didn't feel scary. It felt more like kind of uh, a movie from like I would, I would expect out of like the X Men franchise, where it's like you know these guys have like certain powers and they're battling other people with similar powers. Um, and so the, yeah, it just it, it didn't. I don't think it really kind of lived up to everything that its predecessor had set out by being like this kind of scary movie or psychologically horror f- uh, focused. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of a disappointment on that side, and I think very much felt like a Flanagan film. Uh, I wrote the word Lululemon down because I feel like that brand felt very uh, relevant throughout the whole movie, just in terms of set design and how people were dressed. And, and crafted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand, understand the hats at all. Like, why were they all wearing hats? Uh, so that, that was kind of my take. What, what did you think? You know, and, and to tack on to what you said about it being slow, we haven't mentioned that this is a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which part of maybe, in my mind, I'm like, maybe people were just sick of these big, long, epic horror movies. And I know, like... I have very, I I can't say I'm in the horror industry or anything, but I've noticed that like our downloads and everything Mm kind of drops after Halloween or like even on Halloween. Like by the time Halloween comes, people are like, all right, I need my little break from horror. (laughs) Yeah, I'm feeling that. Yeah, sure. And this movie coming out like a week or so after Halloween, maybe people are just like, "Eh, I'm done. Like I need a break. Like, yeah, I spent three hours in a seat watching Midsommar a few months ago. Like I'm not going to (laughs) go. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I actually did like this movie a lot. I was, I even tweeted like, oh, I'm bummed to learn this movie is two and a half hours long. Like, why can't movies just be like tight and efficient? Right. But I thought that some of the extra time and in looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that could have been cut. That could have been cut. I see why it was all included. And I think some of the extra time, most of the extra time was spent developing characters, Mm -hmm. which I always appreciate. Um, and I do think when you you're making a screenplay from a book, I think it's really hard to step back mm-hmm. and say, you know, we could completely drop that. Like, yeah. Especially like, like us Steve- talking about the orderly thing. Like you need that in there so we know he's Doctor Sleep. Right. It also is kind of an important character development thing because he found purpose in this job. I guess. I mean, like even that Doctor Sleep title, like he wasn't really Doctor. Like the cat, if if anyone, the cat was Doctor Sleep. 
right? Yeah, I mean, the cat was the one that went to medical school and everything. Yeah, had the but, degree. <laughs> I mean, the cat knew when people would die, but he like was there and talked them through it and could tell them things about their lives or like, like he did use his ability to talk about stuff that they that would have seemed otherworldly to them or supernatural or heavenly. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Like in, in terms of like a, a, a guy who's recovering, trying to find purpose and like finding his role as like kind of helping people transition to death. Uh, right. I, I, yeah, that part's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was important for his character. But yeah, then there's things that they just start building up where you're like, well, did we need a big long intro to that girl who could give people instructions? Right. Yeah. they obeyed like that was a good chunk of the movie but it set up who the cult was and mm-hmm. what they did and it allowed for some exposition in the conversation between Rose and that that girl like yeah. here's who we are and here's what we do um, yeah I just thought the, the cults uh, like looking at them as a cult and it compared to other cults that we've seen the whole purpose was basically just to survive and for that they were going around hunting and you know I, f- I feel like a cult should have uh a bigger mission statement or like bigger views of like where they're trying to go versus just like, Oh, it's all about surviving and finding other people with the power and eating them so that we can continue our survival. Did you even check their website for a mission statement though, man? <laughs> I didn't. I'm trying to buy a hat. And it's right there in the about us section. <laughs> we wear hats and this is our vision. <laughs> if you like our hats, you can buy them here. Yeah. Affiliate links. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We you think that was kind of thin for like, what's this cult doing anyway? And and why do like what was the story like? Why did they need to like? I think the cults all had like shining powers as well, but they needed to keep like feasting on other shiners, I guess. Um, whereas like people like Danny or Avra, they didn't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, it was just like they were essentially vampires. Like, why does a vampire drink blood? Yeah, they yeah. want to keep living. Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. I guess it's basic human yep. instinct uh, yeah. survival. Um, yeah. Did you not think that Rebecca Ferguson was like magnetic as Rose, though? Oh, man, totally, yeah. <laughs> it mean, was yeah. an awesome performance. Yeah, anytime she was on screen, I, I loved it. Especially when she first comes on, she's talking to that girl, Violet, and like how she's like kind of tricking her by like a magic trick. Uh, I, I thought she was like pretty effective there. But then it just kind of turns into like she's like this almost like a witch that's like going after this little girl and they're just kind of like fighting it out in a way. And it just kind of took the scare factor out of it. Yeah, and that was one reason going into this. I was like, Ashwin is not going to like this movie because it was not at all scary. Yeah, it wasn't at all scary. (laughs) It truly wasn't. There was not even a moment almost. I mean, the room 237 woman is creepy. I love seeing her on screen. Yep. But she wasn't genuinely scary or disturbing. Yeah. Though Honestly, I mean, the most disturbing mm-hmm. scene was when they killed Jacob Tremblay. Oh, yeah, that murder, it yeah. Was, it wasn't scary, it was just dark. Yeah, that was that was disturbing, especially like the way he's screaming while like they're stabbing him. Yeah. Uh, you're right, yeah, that was, that was a pretty dark scene. Um, you know, in terms of how they brought back the Overlook Hotel, like, I get you, they, they did a really good job of that. Did part of it, to you, kind of feel like um, it was like being at Universal Studios or something and going through like a ride of The Shining, like... Uh, just like just there for like to to pay homage to like you know a, a previous film or something. And um, no, I mean I could totally see how you felt that way, but I love The Shining so much. I was just so happy to see that on screen <laughs> again, and I thought they did a good job with it. Yeah, but did like I did, mean maybe it was like that, but for me I'm like oh hell yeah, I'd love to go yeah. to Universal Studios and ride a Shining ride. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. If you love The Shining and love that, you know, being in that hotel, then I, I think this really like gets on that. It's that did it, but I don't feel like it added anything to like the Overlook or like the the hotel story. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think it enriched the story of The Shining for me at all. Yeah, I think it was just like it was interesting because it was kind of like, hey, here's this whole new thing. It was more about Danny's character was the continuous thread there and the rest was just like oh this is a whole new world with these people who like hunt down people that can shine yeah yeah for the most part I think you're right uh like like yeah I feel like 75% of the movie is that it's like here's Danny here's like a new story different villains but then like I felt like when they went back to the Overlook as cool as it was to see the hotel again and like to relive some of the great stuff that happened there uh it did felt like they were like kind of commercializing it more to their benefit knowing like people like you out there who love that part so much uh would like you know v- jive with that right yeah kind of milking it i mean it was yeah. a little bit unnecessary for them to even be there yeah that, that's what kyle was saying when i talked about it. like they, they could have just shot this woman like anywhere else in the world and it probably would have been a lot easier and not ended up with someone dying yeah but yeah they didn't need to go there <laughs> yeah I, I can see the the reasoning danny's reasoning to an extent but yeah but he, they probably he, didn't need to go there because all and all those ghosts existed in his head anyway. Exactly. So yeah, he could have set them free. But I think the original plan was to get her lost in the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean there are mazes all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just gone to like an apple picking farm and yeah, projected her into the corn maze. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, or like around Halloween. That's a nice time of year to be in in a yeah, corn maze. Uh, and then I, I think to what you mentioned earlier, like, yeah, I was never really clear. Like, so we understand each character has a different version of the shining. Uh, so with Abra, her, her like being like the strongest, I still never really fully understand. Like it sounded like she could project herself to places or like get inside people's minds. Uh, Rose obviously was really strong, but yeah, I never really understood like what each of them were, what the limitations were, what their strengths were. Right. And like Abra could make things move telepathically. Yeah, exactly. Telekinetically. Yep. And yeah, the, like you said, Violet could give people instructions and they were forced to obey them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the rules aren't clear. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the rules aren't too clear. Um, uh, and then, uh, I, you know, I, I think you hit on something good, like you're, you're right, there's like a lot of emotion buried in this, a lot of like character, I guess it's heavy on like character development, transformation, and like those themes of like recovery and opening up about like your powers to like people around you to you know, being honest and stuff. I I guess there's all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And I think that was what the movie was for me, was the characters. Like, mm-hmm. I was very much roped into the movie. Like, And it was because of the characters. I was roped into the world and the story and everything, but it was definitely because of the characters. Like, yeah. I love Dan Torrance as a character, and I don't think there were any disservices done to his character, and I thought Ewan McGregor did a great job. And then the, like, we probably did spend too much time with the cult. Like, I didn't need to know the names of other people in the cult. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it just made Rose a little bit more developed, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved every character in the movie, essentially. I loved Abra, I loved Rose, I loved Dan. Yeah, yep. Yeah, the characters were good, and obviously, like, the acting and production, I thought, were pretty great as well. Right, and all the production values. It was basically just, like, it had me hooked with the characters and then it didn't screw anything up enough for me to drop yeah out minus the fact that it wasn't a horror film but yeah 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I'm always a little more tolerant of that than you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, but uh, I, I think, yeah, that's probably just where we're off is... I was hoping for a horror, something more aligned with like Kubrick's version, but I think you're right. This is probably what Stephen King is trying to get at more on on his books. Yeah, more in line with them. Well, man, zero to five, uh, Cheryl Crow style hats. What would you give this? Uh, I, I got to give this a one, man. I was I was really disappointed when I walked out. Holy and, shit! Yeah, and my my whole thing was uh, this should have been called Doctor Put Me to Sleep. Said a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just begging for that. Yeah. that title. I know it's a perfect setup. What about you? You know, after I got out of it, I gave it a four and a half. Holy shit! At two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh my god. Which, in the cold light of day, or eleven fifteen p.m., mm-hmm. I think realistically, it's probably a four. Okay. Yeah. I did really like it. Uh, I don't know that I'll really ever see it again. I think I got a little bit of a shot of endorphins at the end by seeing <laughs> the overlook. Yeah, that's how they get you, man. Yeah. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Uh, does this change your opinion of Flanagan at all? You know, it kind of keeps it right on par with the the two movies of his I really liked, two movies I thought were melodramatic. Here's another one I like that harness the melodrama for for good in my yeah. opinion okay yeah makes sense yeah maybe it slightly increases my my impression of him yeah i'm glad i'm glad maybe we can tackle some more of his uh work then yeah wow man a one gosh yeah i was sorry to hear that I, i'm not totally surprised i mean somebody calling it harry potter is it really did feel <laughs> kind of like an x-men or something yeah 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 it almost reminded me of logan and like the a little bit of like passing the torch to the next generation. Oh, and having all of a sudden you're like thrown in protecting some kid. Holy shit, that's like a spot on, uh, yeah, uh, parallel there because, yeah, old guy, young girl passing it on, battling some group of cults. Uh, yeah, this basically was Logan. It's interesting, yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. A lot of people are calling this a masterpiece. I don't know if it's a masterpiece, and a lot of people seem pretty lackluster, but... Yeah. Yeah. I think four is probably about right for me. I can understand all, all points of view. It's a piece, all right. It's a piece. It, it, I, will, I will agree with you there. It is really <laughs> not scary. Yeah, yeah. Not scary at Unfortunately, all. I would have enjoyed a, a few more scares or more creeping dread. Yeah, right. Uh, but a good tribute to The Shining. Uh, I like that they brought the characters back and uh, try to bring that in. Those, those, it was good on their part to do that. I do think it did. It, it was respectful to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciated that. Yep. man. The woman who plays—I wish I had written down her name—but the woman who plays Wendy, I thought did a great job. Yeah, the mother in the beginning. Yeah, and they even did like a flashback to the events of the first movie, where she's like in the bathroom, quivering with a knife in her hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not the f- original footage, it's this new woman, and it's like, Oh, Whoa. I didn't realize that. that yeah, she nailed it. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it was like you said, it was enough her own that it wasn't like, oh, you're just doing your best yeah. Shelley Duvall impression. Right, yeah, you're just like cheaping out and getting a, someone else in there. Yeah, that's yeah. that cool. All right, man. Well, anything else before we close up shop here? Uh, no, that's all I got. All right. 
Well, that's it, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode on Dr. Sleep. If you did, you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. You can find our social links on our website, horrormovieclub.com. The little icon next to the Twitter icon is our Discord server. If you want to join us there where we chat with friends and horror fans and uh, just anybody who wants to talk movies. We announce next week's episode on Facebook and Twitter to give you some incentive to follow us there. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. Uh, she has lots of great stuff for sale on Etsy.com, so check that out. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you want to throw us a buck every month, you'll get some access to bonus content. It's patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. And until next time, if there's a decaying old lady trying to climb out of your bathtub... Despite what this film would have you think, I would not lock myself in the bathroom with her. <laughs> and if she's a sexy lady, don't make out with her either. <laughs> what if it's Cheryl Crow, though? <laughs> if it's Cheryl Crow or Rebecca Ferguson, then, then go on it. <laughs> go to your room, grab your most funky hat, and then go in. <laughs> yeah.